the world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Did you see that show last night? I'm wondering if anybody else feels as outraged about it as I do. The show that I'm talking about is The Contender on NBC. And we're going to be talking about The Contender today, and we're going to be talking about reality TV in general. Um, But I want to give out the telephone number, because if any of you have watched the show and you have opinions, you don't have to be outraged. But um, perhaps you liked the show. Perhaps you thought there was nothing wrong with the show. It was a wonderful show. Um, Do give me a call, and let's hear what you have to say, what your opinion is, or if you have any questions about that or reality TV in general. Uh, the number to call in on is a toll-free number, and it's 888-335-5204, 888-335-5204. The show, The Contender, was um, hosted by Sylvester Stallone, also known as Rocky, and um, the executive producer of the show was Mark Burnett, who is the maven of reality TV with The Apprentice and Survivor. And um, it was also hosted by Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, a champion, a past champion. And it was incredibly well, um, the cinematography was great. If this were only a fictional show, a movie or um, of sorts, um, you know, you'd have to say that the that the way it was shot, the editing, the cinematography, everything was really high class. And the only problem with it was that it left scars on the contestants and the viewers. And I'm not talking about the kind of scars that one gets in a boxing ring alone. I'm not just talking about physical scars, but certainly psychological scars. And you may have heard that already one of the contestants, there are 16 contestants uh, fighting for the title of the contender, 16 professional boxers who uh, came to Los Angeles, came to a training camp in Los Angeles. I'll tell you more about the structure of the show. But you may have heard that there is one contestant, one of these 16, who already has committed suicide. His name is Najai Turpin. And he was from Philadelphia. And, um, of course, the show last night, I'm sure a lot of the viewers who tuned in uh, would not have tuned in had they not heard in the previous weeks about this one contender who committed suicide. And everyone, of course, um, being curious like a train wreck, wants to see, wants to see this, this boxer in particular and uh, wants to see what kind of show um, that boxer was on. And, you know, it really, it was interesting, after this um, boxer suicided, uh, Mark Burnett did interviews saying that he was not going to change anything in the show. The show must go on. And um, it's 
after watching the show last night, which was the first of the series, uh, I could see why he would say that, besides being cold and callous and not really caring about one contestant who suicided. Um, it would have been almost, well, not impossible, but it would have been very difficult and very certainly very expensive and time-consuming to re-edit the whole episode to take out um, this contestant. He wasn't... He wasn't one of the main two that were boxing uh, in the first show, but he was, as were the other contestants, sprinkled throughout the show. Not only are there events that the contestants all do together, but um, there are certain inserts of each of the individual boxers, each of the contestants, um, that I guess would have been a little easier to edit out, but it really... (laughs) He, he he wouldn't do that because he knew that there was this curiosity factor of people wanting to see uh, more about this boxer, learn more about the man who suicided. Um, instead, they tried to twist, put a spin on it, twist it and spin it, um, and say that it was actually a way of honoring his memory. You know, <laughs> television has an incredible way of putting spins and uh, on things. Um, to help its bottom line, and that was what was being done with this show. Uh, let me back up a little bit and tell you more about the structure of it. In each of the shows, there are, in addition to seeing the team efforts, uh, the team competing in a, uh, a kind of a race, but that includes physical and mental challenges, um, there is also one boxing match per show, and it will get down to two boxers who are left, uh, the two final boxers, and they will fight live at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas on May 24th. And the winner of this final round will get $1 million. Now, um, these, the boxers, in the meantime, when they lose, um, they are also getting, apparently they get $1,500 per week from the time that the show wrapped, which was um, much earlier than this, actually. It was in September, and they have been paid $1,500 a week to continue training because there's going to be some kind of twist at the end where um, someone who has been um, eliminated earlier on is going to get a chance to box, not because of their boxing skills, but because of some kind of um, lucky drawing or or some kind of uh, technique whereby um, one of the losers may well get a chance to come back and uh, be involved in the final match in some capacity. All of that is not very clear. But in any case, what is clear is that every week, every uh, show, There will be two contenders who will pair off and fight each other. And apparently, at least this first night, um, the way that these two contenders were picked had to do with who won the uh, challenge. The the 16 boxers are divided into uh, two teams of eight boxers each and called East and West according to what part of the country they live in. And so um, East fought West, 
in a challenge where they had to, uh, it was kind of a relay race where they had to move these big poles. And <laughs> the, the sad part of it was the West, the West won, but actually um, it was rather um, sad in a way. It was all, one could feel bad for, for this particular contender. Um, the East was winning. The East was faster, and they were winning all the way till the end where uh, in order to get the last pole to be released so that you can continue carrying that, all the team members could carry that to the finish line, you had to remember a combination. The pole was locked down by a combination. And uh, the numbers of the combination were put up as signposts along the way as they were doing the relay race, carrying the other two poles. They would pass these numbers uh, stuck up on poles as like root signs. They weren't very, wasn't very clearly um, marked as a combination number, but they did tell them at the beginning that that's that you would see the numbers for your combination along the route, and they had different numbers for east and west. And what was really kind of uh, pathetic was that the guy who um, on the east team who was the fastest and got to the third pole first. Um, who people joked around and called Mr. Hollywood because of the jacket that he wore, this loud jacket that he wore to to the opening segment when they arrived at the gym. He got there first, way before the other team, but then he couldn't remember the combination. So um, he sat there, you know, and he called to his teammates, I can't remember the combination, and apparently um, it took a while for somebody to remember what it was. Now, you can certainly understand how if you're nervous and you're, you're used to focusing on physical challenges and being the fastest and the strongest and all of that, that you wouldn't necessarily um, pick up on or be as alert to the combination numbers. But it really, um, it really made this guy look like a dumb guy on national television because here he, he runs up there, you know, he's all excited that he's first, way in front of the rest, and he can't open the combination. Now, um, you know, yes, he, he had the opportunity. He certainly should have remembered the numbers as he was chucking up the hill, but he didn't, and it kind of fit the stereotype of a boxer not being very intelligent, and it really made him look like a fool, and it was really one of the one of the many um, sad points. And actually, that is just one example of how in this show and most reality shows, the object of the game is not what the producers say that it is, but it actually is to make the people who are competing on the game, whatever the show is, um, whether it's The Apprentice or Survivor or The Bachelor or any of the shows that, that I'm sure you've watched and heard about, the object is really to embarrass people, humiliate people um, in their pursuit to win however much money it is that they're supposed to win and putting themselves on the line for a chance at that money and uh, their 15 minutes of fame. They set themselves up. They, they, um, <laughs> they volunteer to be on these shows, compete tremendously with many people before they even get to appear and um, are then a bit shocked when they are made to look the fool, even though they've seen other reality shows in the past where uh, the producers don't 
actually produce the show that they told them they were going to do. In other words, promise them anything to get them on the show once the once they've decided who they want, but um, change the rule, you know, bait and switch. And um, we saw a really sad example of that on this first show that I'll tell you more about. But um, this whole genre of reality TV, I am not against it per se. I mean, I think that, that it could be interesting. I think um, that... It hasn't scratched the surface in terms of possible ideas for shows, but the real problem with all of these shows is that there is no support for their psychological well-being, no support for the psychological well-being of the contenders, of the contestants, um, and no support when they're there competing, no support when they go home and realize, you know, what a fool they've made of themselves on national television, and then they have to sit at home and wait till it airs and wait till all their friends watch it and their people at work and then make fun of them for, you know, making such fools of themselves. Um, it could be really great were there only this uh, psychological support for the people. And I don't mean that all of them could be great because I think as we talk about this show, there are many flaws in it. I'm not sure that you could ever make the contender great, but certainly... It already has uh, been shown to have tragic results in the suicide of one contestant so far. And the loser last night may well be thinking about suicide. We'll talk about that more when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Informative, educational, insightful. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rack and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Information you need, when you need it, voiceamerica.com. Do you have questions concerning your personal portfolio? And would you like to know where the market's going before it gets there? Then you need to tune in to Elite Masters of Trading, hosted by the Traders Coach, Robin Dane, every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Robin has great ideas on how to invest, save, and make money. So become an elite trader in the market every Wednesday at 10 a.m. with the Traders Coach, Robin Dane, and Elite Masters of Trading, right here on the Voice America Radio Network. 
Hello, this is Rory Gray, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Make Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race star. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Continuing to be the authority in Internet talk radio, you're listening to voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. Hi, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about The Contender and other reality TV shows. The Contender aired last night for the first time. It's a new show um, with it's a joint production between Mark Burnett Productions, DreamWorks Television, and Rogue Mar- Marble, Sylvester Stallone, um, Jeffrey Katzenberg. All of these people are playing a role in bringing this series to life. Um, and Mark Burnett said, we're looking to reclaim a part of America that has been missing. Where are the Muhammad Ali's? Where are the Sugar Ray Leonard's? And Sugar Ray Leonard, along with Stallone, are co-hosts. And as I was talking about before the break, um, it's as many reality shows, uh, it has, well, it's had a fatal flaw already since one of the contenders actually has committed suicide. Let's talk about the two contenders who fought last night. Um, they were... Uh, well, first of all, the, somehow it was not clear how one of the contenders um, got picked, but because he, I mean, got picked in terms of being the first one to fight last night, but um, since he was on the West team, uh, the winning team of the challenge, he was able to pick, or at least that's what the audience is made to believe, <laughs> he was able to pick um, who he wanted to fight on the East Team. It actually seemed like it was real because um, people seemed to be surprised, unless that was all part of the act. Uh, people seemed to be surprised at who he picked. The, um, the first contender was Alfonso Gomez. And I'll read to you what they said about him um, on what the, uh, what the program, what the publicity was that the program put out about him. Alfonso's family moved from Mexico to the United States when he was 10 years old, and he's been boxing ever since. Mr. Gomez took over Alfonso's training after a month of watching another trainer teach his son an amateur style of boxing. Having been a boxer himself, Alfonso's father preferred a pro style and taught Alfonso the Mexican style of boxing. Alfonso only takes orders from his father and will ignore almost everyone else, particularly when it comes to training. He won't undo what he and his father have been working on for 14 years. Alfonso graduated high school with an 80-10 to 10 amateur record and decided to go pro. 
He also wanted to get a BA degree, which meant a move from San Francisco to Los Angeles. The 17-year-old was going to move out alone, but his parents wouldn't let that happen. They sold their business and home and moved their three sons to Tustin, California. The entire family has made huge sacrifices to ensure their Alfonso has everything he needs to become a champion. Alfonso wants to give all that they've given back to them. No, this is a typo on their, on their PR material. Alfonso wants to give all that they've given to him back to them and sees his competition as an opportunity to get him closer to his goal. He is confident that he's going to win, and so is his family. Alfonso fought and lost to Ishay Smith in 2001. Now, Alfonso's father was actually the star of the show. That was the one highlight uh, in the sense that during each of the five, in between each of the five rounds that he fought, they showed his father on the sidelines telling uh, Alfonso what to do, like to keep his um, to keep his fists in front of his face, uh, to go sort of have, do an, an uppercut, an undercut. I don't know. I'm not a boxing uh, expert here, <laughs> but showed him what kind of um, uh, how to hit uh, his opponent. Uh, and gave him various other kinds of advice, and that was really rather cool. But uh, and um, it re- his family was there. You know, there were a lot of people that seemed to be rooting for him. And um, this this bond between his family and Alfonso, and this confidence that his family had in him, um, was really that was you know sort of the highlight. That was nice to see, and. That is what, in my opinion, allowed him to win against his opponent because the person who he picked to go up against was Peter Manfredo, Jr. And Peter is apparently a much more experienced boxer who has won um, championship bouts, middleweight championship bouts, and um, was apparently one of the tougher was expected to be one of the tougher boxes to, boxers to beat. And so everyone seemed to be surprised when Alfonso picked Peter, since you, know, you would think that they would pick um, someone who they thought was easiest, especially since he was up first and he had his choice of any of the boxers on the other team, any of eight boxers, and yet he picked one that was harder. And... Um, he actually had a good rationale for this. Uh, he said, if he gets beaten, at least he got beaten by one of the best. And that was actually very clever because it would be, I mean, on the one hand, it wasn't clever because he was risking his chance at the million dollars being a finalist. On the other hand, um, if he was beaten by someone who was considered one of the top boxers, then he wouldn't have to feel as humiliated about being beaten on national television by this Boxer. Now I'll read you um, the the bio that they gave on Peter. Um, Peter is a happy-go-lucky kid who turns into Godzilla in the ring. He has lived his entire life in his father's gym and has more than the average perspective on the business of boxing and the potential to make a great living at it. His father complains that he started boxing too late in his life to to have made any real money. However, Peter Jr. seems to be doing just fine. He has an SUV, 
and bought some land to build a house for his high school sweetheart-turned-wife, Yamika, and their baby daughter. Peter is affable, likes to laugh, and is generally a happy guy, but does not take criticism well. He knows the world of boxing, his place in it, and is confident in his chances in this competition. Peter Sr. is deathly afraid that the show's trainer will screw up what he took a lifetime to build with his son. He is very confident that Junior is the contender. Well, so both men had fathers who were boxers or who were um, very involved in boxing and who taught their uh, sons about boxing, and yet Peter's father was nowhere to be seen, and um, it, was, it, almost, it almost made it seem as though he had died, that the father had died, um, or else it's not clear why the father wasn't there. Peter talked about um, hearing his father in his head, and all Peter had at the ring, all they showed anyway, and it looked like all he had, was his wife and his little daughter, who looked like she was about four years old. Um, whereas um, Alfonso had his whole family and then some. And um, that was certainly a psychological edge that, uh, that um, Alfonso had. But it was really... Um, <laughs> You know, first of all, they showed a lot of Peter, um, who lost the bout, ultimately. Uh, they showed a lot of him at the beginning, which is kind of a clue on these reality shows. Here's a little tip. Um, if they show a lot of a particular contestant in that show, you can bet that that contestant is going to be eliminated because they are trying to use as much footage as they can of that contestant since the contestant is not going to be there for future shows and they want to take advantage, I mean, they know, obviously, before they edit it, who has won the fight. So, um, Or in the other reality shows, they know who the winner is uh, or they know who's going to be eliminated, let's put it that way. And, um, and so they're able to edit more. Um, of, they're able to edit it however they want. And um, we saw at the beginning of the show a lot about Peter Manfredo. We saw him with his wife. We saw him with his daughter. We saw him in the projects. It's kind of interesting, though. They In this bio, they make it seem like um, he's doing well financially because he has an SUV and he bought some land to build a house. But on the show last night, it made it seem as though um, he was poor and he, he lived in the projects. I mean, I guess maybe the point was that he came from the projects and... They didn't show the land that he had. So it made it seem like, you know, he really sort of needed to win more because he came from the projects. Um, in, so we saw him a lot at the beginning, and that was already a red flag. So you can uh, check this out for the next reality show that you watch. Or if you watch The Contender, um, check it out on The Contender to see if they do that kind of thing again. Chances are they will. Um they talked about how um, Peter Manfredo was um, oh, <laughs> met his wife in high school, and you'll have to wait till the next, uh, till after this break, to hear the rest and to hear how the fight actually, uh, how it came about that Peter Manfredo lost. 
So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about the contender and reality shows in general. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Are you feeling stuck in some part of your life? You might have some press busting to do. Trust is anything that you think, feel, or believe that prevents you from living life full out. Step into the crust-free zone with me, Dr. Pat Basile, and get ready to do some serious crust-busting. Join us on Thursday mornings on VoiceAmerica.com at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for crust-busting your way to an awesome life. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Cutting edge. Challenging. Stimulating. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. When tax time comes, are you the person that goes to your accountant with a shoebox literally full of receipts? Stop wasting your accountant's time as well as your own by organizing your finances with the help of Joe Dunphy and Poor Richard Shoebox. Heard live every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poor Richard Shoebox will let you know what you can do to organize for tax time as well as how to get the most out of your retirement. So get all of your receipts together and tune in to Poor Richard Shoebox with Joe Dunphy every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on the Voice America Radio Network. Business, sports, religion, legal, pets, entertainment. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll-free at 1-888-335-5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about the contender and reality TV. We're talking specifically about the premiere episode of the contender that aired last night. Um, And we're talking about the bout in that show, the first bout of the show between Alfonso Gomez and Peter Manfredo, Jr. And um, I was telling you about uh, what they the background that they gave us about Peter. 
talking about how he met his wife in high school and um, how his father. You know, it's very interesting. Both Alfonso and Peter had fathers who were boxers and who trained their sons. And, um, and both um, did not want the trainers of the show to train their sons. They thought that they um, would be better trainers. Um, you know, they've trained their sons to not pay attention to other trainers and to pay attention to them. And the mystery of the night was where um, Peter Manfredo Jr.'s father was, whether he had died or he was ill or why he wasn't there um, for this big, the biggest bout of his life. And um, certainly that was definitely a, uh, I think, one of the main factors that influenced Peter to lose. Um, he was the much more experienced boxer. He had more titles to his name. Um, everybody was shocked that Alfonso had picked such a more experienced boxer to box. Um, I think Peter was caught off guard that um, that he was being called upon to box so early in the show. You know, they, they at the very beginning of the show, they showed the 16 contenders coming to the gym in Los Angeles and um, and and uh, checking into their living quarters, and you know they were all very impressed with how beautiful everything was. And I think Peter, who they had demonstrated as coming from the projects, um, was sort of overwhelmed with this kind of lifestyle and really kind of liked it and didn't didn't want to go home, didn't want to leave so quickly. And um, so that was another reason why I think he was sort of uh, surprised at being picked so early and you know, was was caught off guard at the thought of having to leave this luxurious lifestyle and, of course, the attention of the show so early, potentially. It was the whole um, bout was, was really about the psychological edge that uh, Alfonso had on Peter. It really wasn't um, necessarily about what how good they were as boxers. Because actually, in the rounds, the first round seemed to go to Alfonso. The second round went to Peter. And in fact, um, he caused Alfonso's eye to bleed. Everybody seemed a bit, <laughs> it was really kind of ironic. Everybody seemed a bit appalled that there was all this blood when Peter hit Alfonso's eye. It was like, well, wait a minute, you know, is this real or is this television? Um, the reality show got too real when there was blood spurting. Um, and then Alfonso seemed to win the third round, and then round four, they were pretty equal, and round five was kind of a mystery. They also seemed pretty equal. So um, it was not really by that much that um, that Alfonso won, but it was totally due to their psychological attitudes when they were going into the fight. And this is something, you know, again, looking for positive things that we can learn from television and from reality shows. Um, this is a take-home message that um, Alfonso, um, Alfonso had, uh, they showed him in the ring visualizing himself winning, standing in the ring, you know, uh, um, his hands over his head like he's the champ, um, and uh, talking in the locker room with his family, who were incredibly supportive, who were telling him, you know, they had a totally positive attitude, too, uh, saying that he was going to be winning. 
um, you know, that they didn't, I mean, not just saying it, but they seemed to totally believe that he was going to win, and they conveyed that to him. And they were there rooting for him at the side of the uh, boxing ring. And um, and he was just, you know, he felt all that love and positive energy, and he apparently had been trained well to do visualization, which is an incredibly important technique uh, in life, whether it's for fighting cancer or winning at sports. Um, visualization is an incredibly important tool to where you visualize yourself doing whatever it is. I mean, let's say talking about sports, um, visualizing hitting that home run, visualizing yourself hitting that home run over and over and over again, not just superficially, but closing your eyes, breathing deeply, and um, imagining yourself, actually imagining your body going through uh, the movements that it would have to go through to have these winning results, whether it's horseback riding, jumping, um, boxing, uh, any kind of sport. It really is a, a, um, a powerful tool, and we saw that Alfonso um, had used it. Peter, on the other hand, um, didn't seem to recuperate from first hearing that he was the one who was picked to fight Alfonso. And I don't think it was because he was, you know, that afraid of Alfonso um, since, you know, on, on, on paper uh, he was clearly the better fighter. And um, he he um, was. They showed him the night before the fight as well, of course. And um, I think the fact that he was picked by a less experienced fighter threw him off, causing him to have to question himself and his own abilities, even though he had won some championships. I did say in his bio that he didn't take well to criticism. So I guess. You know, this is kind of a similar sort of thing. He felt this as, as uh, a denigration of his abilities. Um, he became overcome uh, by fear and negativity. He was, he was, you could see him sort of become paralyzed by fear and negativity. And you felt that he, he was a loser, that he felt that he was a loser from the night before the fight. You just... <laughs> It was kind of like dreading um, him actually getting into the ring because he had such a loser mentality as compared to Alfonso, who was going in there with a total winner mentality, although, again, on paper, one wouldn't have expected him to have been the winner. Um, Peter, the night before, he slept in a separate bed. He was very sad. It was, seemed like a foreshadowing. You know, He was talking to his wife and his daughter and it seemed like such a, a foreshadowing of the fact that he was going to lose. He seemed drained of energy whereas Alfonso was all pumped up. Um, Peter's heart just didn't seem in it. Um, and, you know, even what was a really telling moment was when his wife and his daughter were in the locker room with him just before the fight and his daughter was, you know, they were hugging him and his daughter looked confused and sad and it was clear that she felt her father's fear and negativity. And um, this was not a place for children. That was, if you know, aside from uh, the humiliation of the adults that went on, uh, making Mr. Hollywood look like a fool and, and making Peter you know, look like a pathetic loser as he lost at the end. Um, but really the biggest crime of the show was involving the daughter, this, this, four, this daughter who looked to be about four years old, was clearly scared 
and upset, sitting right in front of the uh, ring, you know, um, right up close to the ring, and watching her father get punched <laughs> for five rounds. Uh, they said that this was the first boxing match that she's ever seen. Um, I'm sure the producers wanted her there because that adds a whole other element, you know, a, a to the uh, competition. Um, he, the Peter had said that he wants to win for his wife and his daughter to give them a better life. And uh, you see the daughter. I mean, she was just such a sweet, cute little girl, and, and she's sitting there watching her father get pummeled. Um, I mean, I don't think children belong in, in at boxing matches to begin with. And um, in fact, I don't think I don't think much of boxing matches, and all uh, in terms of there being a kind of media violence that actually promotes violence in the audience, uh, not only the people sitting there watching, but the viewers when it's on television. But certainly, this is not a place for a little girl to watch her father, uh, all for the sake of ratings. And uh, these, that, this experience, you know, while the producers go home with their extra dollars um, and they're patting themselves on the back, uh, this little girl has been scarred for life. I can tell you that for sure, that this experience will be one that goes into her unconscious mind and is never forgotten, nor will it be forgotten, for that matter, by her father. But this will be something that this little girl will have to live with, not understanding why everybody was sitting around, standing around, watching her father get pummeled, um, you know, seeing beforehand her father being so scared and negative and drained and and, and um, unhappy. And I'm sure after the bout, um, things did not get better. You know, I'm sure um, that, uh, that when he went home... Um, these, these next, those next weeks um, were terrible. And in fact, he said at the very end of the show, after Peter lost, he said, I feel like I let everybody down, my wife, my daughter, my father. All I can hear is my father in my head. He talked about having a fire burning inside. I feel like I exploded. I've been fighting since I've been five years old. Where do I go from here? And that line, where do I go from here, sums it all up. Where do I go from here now that my spirit has been broken on national television? So stay tuned. We'll continue talking about The Contender and Reality TV. On Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional entertainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your pet's body wants to be healthy. If you give them the encouragement they need and provide them the proper nutrition, your pet will find its own way to optimal health. It's about giving the body the life it needs to take care of itself. It's about veterinary rehabilitation and holistic care with Dr. Ava Frick. Heard every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Veterinary Rehabilitation and Holistic Care is a show dedicated to the health of your pet. Topics to be discussed will include nutrition, pain elimination, acupuncture for animals, and more. Provide your pet with the lifestyle it deserves. Listen to Veterinary Rehabilitation and Holistic Care with Dr. Ava Frick every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. You want the truth? Face the facts. This is VoiceAmerica.com. Depend on it. Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Make Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have questions or comments for Dr. Carol, call toll free at 1 335 5204. Now let's get back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about reality TV and the show that just premiered last night, The Contender. Um, I, I, it just makes me really sad for the people who are on the show um, that they are brought on there with false promises and yes, of course, somebody is going to win a million dollars at the end. I shouldn't say of course, but presumably. But but what about all the other people who um, don't go down with dignity? Because uh, that's not what this is about, um, and that's that's something that people don't find out until they get in the middle of one of these reality shows. And of course, the the um, the classic example of the damage, the tragedy of what happens on some reality shows is the case that I was involved with, um, the trial of 1996, which was the Jenny Jones talk show murder trial, where uh, Jonathan Schmitz was accused and convicted of murder uh, after three days from being on the Jenny Jones talk show with a man, Scott Amador, who um, exposed his same-sex secret crush on John. 
and um, he was he was convicted of second degree murder, not first, but nonetheless he was sentenced to 25 to 50 years in prison. That was the first casualty of reality TV because talk shows were actually the first uh, the first genre or the first subgenre, if you'd like to call it that, of reality TV. Um, in which people were exposed and continue to be exposed on shows like Jerry Springer. Um, it's not, you know, people are brought on, well, Jerry Springer now everybody knows that people are brought on actually to box. <laughs> but um, on the other shows that that um, seem to be bringing people on to help them solve their problems, um, only did that in some cases. Uh, most of the time it was really not people, you know, I, I've, I'm on talk shows a lot. I mean, there aren't many of them left, but um, I've been on them a lot and um, and tried to help the people who I was on with as much as I could. But uh, there isn't really that much time because after the show is over, these people get put into a limo, um, you know, shooed off the stage because the next contestants are coming on for the next show. And then they get put into a limo and sent back to the airport. And I would often, um, you know, if I was in a limo with some of the contestants, which usually happened, I would do therapy with them uh, to help them to help them deal with what happened because they are, are deers in headlights. You know, they, they're on the stage, they're thinking one thing is going to happen, and instead uh, something else happens. They don't get a chance. They feel they don't get a chance to tell their side of the story. Things get get brought up that uh, they were promised weren't going to be brought up. All kinds of things happen. And when you're on a talk show, it, the hour goes by incredibly quickly. And um, these people just feel at the end like they've been hit by a train. Um, and and they try to pick up the pieces, and I try to help them. And this isn't to say that talk shows or reality shows as a whole are bad. What it is to say is that a lot more thought and planning and attention to the psychological state of the contestants need to go into them. Uh, there needs to be some kind of aftercare. There needs to be some kind of um, care throughout um, the shows, I mean, especially with reality shows that go on for, for quite a while. There needs to be some kind of support for these contestants, but there isn't generally because... Um, the more frazzled the contestants are, uh, the more on edge, the more unpredictable, the more the show gets higher ratings. You know, the more uh, the more viewers it attracts. Because yes, indeed, we have to admit, um, viewers, you know, are are drawn to that to see to see what happens. We, we identify with some of the people in these reality shows and on these talk shows. We identify with them. We want to see how they will handle themselves in certain situations. There are certain people amongst the contestants that um, each of us identify with more, and we root for those people to win. And um, But it's, it's really, it's, it's just, Human waste. I mean, what it is is taking people in and um, uh, twirling them around in, in this machine so that the people don't know what they're doing or what has happened to them, and then spitting them out and sending them home. And nobody's home to take care of them. Nobody's going to be um, 
doing therapy with them to um, to help them get over this experience for the most part. There, there are some rare exceptions, but even then, the, the so-called therapy that they get is not particularly helpful. Um, and certainly in this show, The Contender, where one one of the contestants, Najai Turpin, already committed suicide after he lost. We haven't seen that show. That show is coming up. But certainly um, the show that we saw last night, uh, Peter did not look like a happy camper, and he looked rather destroyed. Apparently he has not yet committed suicide, but, um, you know, it certainly did seem to take this spirit out of him. One wonders how, what the impact will be on his boxing career and on his life. He feels like he, he said in his words, I feel like I let everybody down, my wife, my daughter, my father. All I can hear is my father in my head. Where do I go from here? And that's the question that all reality show contestants ask themselves when they get finished with the show that was supposed to make them a superstar. You know, they come in thinking that... Uh, just being on television is somehow going to be making them a superstar and, and it will last. And instead, they get beaten up, either physically, as in uh, The Contender, where there are boxing matches, or certainly, uh, at least emotionally, and sometimes both. <laughs> and um, and one wonders whether the, the whether things, the only way things will change is when there are enough lawsuits I mean, actually, from the Jenny Jones murder trial, um, there was a change in talk shows, not to provide them more psychiatric help, but to get the contestants, the guests on the shows, to sign much longer waivers before they go on so that, that basically say, I will not sue you no matter what happens to me on your show. That's what happened um, as a result of the Jenny Jones talk show murder. And um, that is really a sad commentary on um, on television. Everybody's everybody loses. Everybody goes goes down a peg um, when there is this lack of respect for human dignity and uh, people's feelings. And that is certainly what we saw last night with this newest contender in the uh, in contending. <laughs> there. there are it's, they're contenders for your eyes, for viewers, for ratings, um, and they are trying to make things as as um, disgusting, as as low as possible, in order to try to steal viewers away from the other stations. That's all it's about. Um, the wife swapping shows. The I mean, just things that that years ago would would have been unthinkable. Everybody is just getting down deeper in the mud in this race for ratings because there are more channels. There's cable competing with um, the broadcast stations. There, everyone seems to to feel like in order to to keep getting their share of the pie, they have to go lower and lower uh, to try to attract viewers, and that is a very dangerous trend. Um, and I think it's only going to be when there are actual lawsuits. Um, questioning some of these things, suing the the uh, shows for the way that people are treated, that we may see the end to this. Either that, or people not watching these shows. That's another thing that you can do. Um, but in the meantime, in regard to the contender, 
what you can do is to um, write the production company, um, Mark Burnett, the main producer, and uh, tell him what you think about this show. Uh, tell NBC what you think about the show. Certainly NBC has um, does care about its image on the whole. Uh, tell them what you think about this and how uh, dangerous it is, if that's what you think, to the people involved. I don't mean you know, dangerous just physically, but dangerous to their spirit, to their mental health, and to the people who watch it and... Um, and think that this is really cool, because uh, because it's not really cool for, I'm sure Peter and his wife and his daughter have not been having a really cool time ever since uh, he lost in the way that he did. And again, I, I, I still uh, am concerned about this mystery of where his father was, since it seems that that was a support that he was really missing whether he died or was ill or was not flown out there by the by the show. Um, it's just a mystery, but it certainly did have an impact on, uh, on his self-confidence. And in any case, I do hope that you will at least get out of the show the things that you can, the positive, the little positive, which is to realize how um, whatever it is that you're, whatever kind of fight you're in, um, whether it's uh, for, for a better job or um, whatever you're trying to gain in life, it did show that self-confidence and a positive attitude are really a lot more important than um, just physical strength or what somebody's status is, what they've achieved so far. You can go a long way by really visualizing yourself winning whatever kind of situation it is and uh, thinking totally positively about yourself even if you're up against a really strong contender. So thank you for listening. This has been your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, on Dr. Carol's Couch, talking about the contender and reality TV on voiceamerica.com. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.